Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a conversation featuring fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, business, and more. My guest today is artist Sarah Rowe. Our conversation is being recorded today by Zoom. Sarah Rowe is a mixed media and performance artist and co-founder of Sweatshop Gallery in Omaha, Nebraska. Rowe confronts issues of self-identity and exploitation and reimagines traditional Native American symbology to fit the narrative of today's cultural landscape. Rowe is of Lakota and Ponca descent. Recent exhibitions include a solo show, Nebraska Now, at Mona in Kearney, Nebraska, Art Scene, a juried exhibition of artists from Omaha to Lincoln at the Joslin Art Museum in Omaha, Nebraska, and Monarchs, brown and native contemporary artists in the path of the butterfly at the Bemis Center for Contemporary Arts in Omaha, Nebraska. Roe holds a BA in studio art from Webster University, studying in St. Louis, Missouri, and Vienna, Austria. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I will post on the Lies Radio Show Facebook page and Instagram page, just one or two of the images that, that you shared so that um, viewers can get a sense of some of the art that I want to talk about with you. But um, would you mind, insofar as you can, giving us a, a, a description of, of your art in terms of the medium that, that you're using? That's tricky. Um, I have a studio art degree, so I work in several mediums. I make immersive installations as far as my gallery shows. Um, so there's always a participatory element. I try to engage all the senses. I've also been recording sound with some of my recent work, but I also do more traditional, you know, woodblock printing, screen printing, painting, illustration. Got some murals in the works during COVID here. So working on some public art, um, branching out in that way a little bit more these days. So let's talk about um, some of the subject matter then. So you, you, you have this breadth of media, and I want to talk about some of the messaging that you're trying to kind of surface, this sort of dialogue you're trying to have with maybe an audience with your art. I read somewhere in your uh, description of your work that you draw from skewed imagery in historic texts in conjunction with images from Lakota winter counts. And there's a little bit more to this description too, but um, let me just stop there and ask about um, what are you referencing in the artistic representations you're creating? Sure. Um, as a modern Indigenous artist, it is a bit maddening as far as textbooks and what we're taught in school and our representation in the media is, of course, very skewed and one-sided. So I try to approach that problem with a sense of humor. And one of my woodblocks I call Hayoka, which is the sacred clown of the Lakota. So it teaches us to broaden our perspectives by laughing instead of crying. You know, he's often depicted as a warrior riding backward on a horse. So I try to approach my work with that kind of lightheartedness, especially when confronting these really complex and uncomfortable conversations um, and inviting a shared storytelling with viewers from different backgrounds, you know, and just kind of building bridges that way, sharing a dialogue 
I could ramble on about any number of pieces, um, the imagery that's in there. Um, oftentimes it's uh, dream imagery. Um, winter counts are, are like records of a year that have been traditionally used in different tribes. So you'll often see those in museums, like the big hides that have lots of little symbols on them. So that's kind of recounting the year. It's like a calendar almost. So I'm, I'm really inspired by those marks and I kind of blend them with my own like dream images. And I think that abstracts it even further in a way. Um, and I like the, the openness and, and that abstraction. I think it invites other people to, to imagine what these symbols mean. The symbols will vary from tribe to tribe. Um, and I try to just put my own experience in the mix. So it's, it's not truly traditional work that I'm doing. I appreciate being inspired by, you know, and seeing what happens when, when people approach me with their own stories. I really like that you reference the use of humor. Are you finding that there are other ways, other techniques perhaps you use to sort of subvert the skewing that you see about, you know, your, your cultural heritage? Yeah, um, I feel like as a mother, I've been in tune with uh, just the, the idea of play, like finding ways to play every day. And as an artist, I get to exper experiment with different techniques and even performative things, um, different daily rituals, just in my daily life at home with my daughter or uh, in the way I approach my work. And actually, she's my daughter's 15, and we've bonded a lot over drag. Um, we've been acquiring a lot of different drag makeup and playing with that. And I love that the way that speaks to this idea of masks, which we hear about masks a thousand times a day now. Um, so uh, I've been kind of building a, a drag persona at home and doing some photography as well. So we're playing with that at home. Um, and there will be a little publication coming out in the near future with this persona um, where I, I have myself as the subject matter. Um, which I normally would in a performance setting in the gallery. So I'm, I'm trying to navigate this in a different way now. And that's been a great uh, path to take with my daughter as well as we're trapped at home. So another part of a description of your work that I read that maybe plays to what you're saying is um, that your work has imagined landscapes that are bold and vibrant and containing a shape-shifting bestiary layered entails, both familiar and strange. And um, certainly some of the images you shared with me have that sense of this kind of shape-shifting bestiary. I feel as if what you're describing there is um, sort of akin to this kind of presenting a, a different persona, some kind of different sense of self. And, you know, maybe it's animal or it's a different kind of human something mythical. Um, so how, how do these things all kind of come together in, in your work? It's interesting watching these animals emerge. Um, they're oftentimes a blending of, of two animals into one, or, you know, I'll have these animals come with multiple eyes, or, you know, you can't tell if they're in the sky or on the ground. So I see them as connectors between our world and the spirit wor world or the cosmos. Um, 
And I just kind of play with different shapes that come through. Like oftentimes if I'm laying in bed, I'll, I'll, I'll be awake, but I'll just lay with my eyes closed for an hour. And these images sort of come and I start marking them down on paper and then they grow into these um, abstracted tails. They're sort of contained within the four sides of the paper. They turn into series oftentimes. I've been doing a lot with birds lately. Um, and these drawings, they, it's like one bird will morph into another. Um, and it, it's interesting to see the threads and some of the shapes that emerge to create the landscape that they're in. So yeah, you, you can easily see this thread even as these animals change entirely. Um, it's like building a family almost of these images. How much of you is getting pulled into these pieces? I'm wondering what is this balance or blend, this alchemy from your heritage, um, the dreams you're having, and then also these different, I, I guess, personalities that you're also presenting, and then the different ways of um, seeing culture expressed in the world as well. Um, it, it's a really heady blend of ingredients, and I, I don't know how you manage to pull from all of those in, into your work. I take being an artist as a, a responsibility. Um, I have to be centered and stay in tune, and I don't really take ownership of any of my work or the images. I see myself as a vessel, and I think a lot of other artists or musicians um, kind of tap into that creative stream in the same way um if you're just quiet and you you have that openness about your spirit these things just kind of come through and oftentimes they're fully formed in my mind and the challenge is how do you how do you make these dream images come to life in this physical realm it's always a challenge and it's 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 a challenge to translate it you know, from one realm to another. Um, and I'm not a perfectionist, thank goodness, but I'm always chasing this path. Like how, how do I honor these, these visions in the, the most real and full way? Say, say, feel. Shake up this place Say pick up, pick up that pace yeah. We got no time to waste Everybody say feel that pace yeah. We gon' shake up this place Pick up, pick up that pace yeah. We got no time to waste Say dreams to chase yeah. We ain't losing this race Say, say, say we got faith yeah. We know what it's gonna take Ain't nobody gotta do for me what I do when I do it so beautifully All I gotta stay is true to me Yeah, Stay winning is a mood to me Ay, Ain't nobody gotta do for me yep. What I do when I do it so beautifully All I gotta stay is true to me Say what? Stay winning is a mood to me Ay, ay, I said Do you feel in control of them or are these 
kind of creative muses or these visions, are they controlling you? I don't know. I think it's a back and forth in a way. Um, yeah, it's interesting when you when you look at look at it that way. Um, I I feel like they when when you're hit by a moment of inspiration, you either grab it or you don't. And if you don't, it passes to the next person, and maybe it's it goes through their filter or their experience, and that that being whatever it is comes through maybe in a different way or in a different medium, but its spirit is still there. It might just look or sound a little bit different. Uh, How explicitly are you calling upon your cultural heritage in your work? Or is that just so interwoven in who you are that that's just, just, it's just a natural um, inevitability that your work will be grounded that way. I think growing up, um, understanding ceremony has helped me stay in tune with that. Honoring the matriarchs in my family or my ancestors, um, just calling on them really helps bring things to light. I think it is really ingrained. It's like in my blood. So it's just what it is. I can't, I can't escape it. And I, I just try to honor it the best I can. And it's, it's tricky because there, in my generation, there's a disconnect because of the boarding schools. Like my family was taken and um, it was a forced assimilation by our government. And so there was a huge disconnect generationally because of that. Um, and I feel like it's, it's one of my, it's probably my highest calling to reconnect those things that have been severed and and do the work and teach my daughter so that we can move forward with that appreciation and pride in who we are, because, you know, there are people in my own family that lost that. I I try to use my art as a way to holistically connect those things. Is there a sense, or do do you have a personal sense of um, some historical trauma that your work is speaking to uh, in a healing way? Yes, um, I do talk about reconciliation a lot. Um, and these are really complex issues that affect us culturally in many ways, whether we address it or not. So yeah, I try, I try to show the full spectrum, like the destruction and the creation within these images. Um, sometimes it's harsh. It's always playful. And some of the materials I'll use, especially in installation, will speak to that reconciliation directly. Um, Like I've used family relics, like old textiles that I can either pour oil on or, or hand stitch into with different symbols. And it speaks to that reconciliation directly. You said something earlier about audiences at your exhibitions, not just having a passive experience of observing the work you suggested that there was an intentionality behind your work being interacted with by the audience and i wonder if you wouldn't mind kind of expanding on maybe an example of of how you try to construct an experience an artistic interaction with your work and the audience yeah um a lot of the participatory uh, events that i've created came after i i visited standing rock and I started using like crude motor oil in my pieces. At the Bemis, I did a wall piece of 
um, morning handkerchiefs that were tacked to the wall. It was a huge wall. Um, and I left the shape of the medicine wheel open in the middle. And I had participants come up and they drew a ring with the, with black oil that had sage and cedar oil mixed in. So it was an olfactory experience as well. Um, so while I, I had the drum, um, you know, burning sage, they filled in the, the grid with the medicine wheel. And when that show was done, I took all of those handkerchiefs and tied them into one long length and made almost like a nest out of them. And I did a project with my friend in Oakland who was working with some sacred clay that was dug up from the financial district under the buildings there. And we incorporated the clay into that. And then I took that clay and sent it to West Virginia. So it's like this journey of these materials that are being used and approached differently in different places, depending on what's happening there. Um, but it all becomes part of their, their history and their life. And after that show, it will become something else. Uh, it's so fascinating, that idea of the repurposing of material. So it, it continues to speak in a way that is adapted, transformed, um, becomes something new, another expression. Also really enjoyed you talking about the olfactory sense as mm -hmm. well. So the olfactory sense can be off-putting or inviting, which I also appreciate, especially with the oil. Like it's just toxic. Um, and I did a tea ceremony with that. So I would collect these dainty cups and saucers and put loose leaf teas in with the oil and we would do this tea ceremony. So it was really beautiful, but also very jarring at the same time. And people helped to build this altar with these cups and saucers that would then sit uh, on pedestals around the installation. Oh, I wanna feel something. I just wanna breathe again. Dive into the So you also mentioned uh, sound earlier. So what are some of the other ways that you're using artistic media to get some sort of artistic expression out into the world? Yeah, I'm very excited to use sound. Um, I've played music since I was a child, but um, as an artist, that has been an element that I haven't really incorporated into my gallery shows. Um, and it was really interesting in March, a week before quarantine, my installation called Commercial Break opened. And it was supposed to be satire. It was like a comedy show I've been wanting to do. 
um, about the collapse of capitalism. And I made a, a logo called Bye Bye, which is B-Y-E-B-U-Y. Um, I made merch out of reclaimed clothing. And um, it was kind of a mashup of Pee Wee's Playhouse and a dilapidated mallscape that was inspired by the Crossroads Mall, which has been just sitting vacant like a ghost town. So it was a mashup of those two things was the initial idea. Um, and I wanted a soundscape to be playing during that show. So I connected a few friends that do like work with synthesizers and pedals. Um, we took a field recorder and recorded transactions out in the world and then layered it with some sounds from actual musical instruments and kind of warped it through pedals. And it made this really strange, surreal soundscape for the opening there. So that added a really interesting layer that I'm, I'm going to continue with, but I'm not, I'm not certain how, where that will take me now that COVID is happening, but um, we'll, we're continuing to record sounds as we go out um, and explore, like we're exploring the prairie right now. So I'm going to continue this work and hopefully exhibit it somewhere for people to enjoy in the near future. How do people respond to your work? There is on the one hand, perhaps you're just average art consumer. Uh, and when I say that, I guess I'm thinking about a pretty typical, say, Omaha audience, which would be fairly much like me, which would be white, middle-aged, fairly middle-class kind of background. Um, and then I'm also wondering how people, perhaps for whom the work speaks more dearly, such as people that have a similar ethnic background to you, and you've in your bio described having a, a heritage that can be drawn from Lakota and, um, and Ponca peoples. And so I'm wondering how that audience is responding as well to your work. Yeah, it's, it's great being an urban native in that way because I get to speak to such a diverse audience and I get a lot of dynamic feedback. Uh, it's always a huge honor, especially when the native youth come through and elders I think these experiences can be deeply moving and healing and it helps build community because we are very disconnected. There's really no sense of community for indigenous people of this area. Um, it's, it's better than it used to be, but we're still fairly new at finding ways to connect since my tribe was reinstated in my lifetime um, and we don't have, have a reservation. There are a lot of rural natives, but even people from other tribes will come to my shows and it's really great to have that connection and to build that community. And as far as just your average Omaha resident, I, I, I'm really an open book at my shows. People come up with questions and oftentimes they're uncomfortable or don't know how to talk about it, but I appreciate that they are comfortable enough to be vulnerable for a moment and ask questions because we are addressing some heavy issues, even though it feels like a party and it is, but I feel like at the end of the night, people feel like they were part of something, I hope, um, and we're celebrating being alive together in a very crazy topsy-turvy world. Um, and I, my hope is, is that it's an experience they don't forget and it kind of raises the bar for the standard of, of art that, that we show in, in this area. Your work speaks in some ways to issues of identity. And 
I want to ask if you have felt a stronger sense of self-identity through the work or if in your life you felt some slippage of identity and, and, and the work itself is cathartic for you. Making the work is definitely a healing process for me. Um, I'm still getting comfortable talking about it. Um, I think art, I mean, obviously is its own language and it's oftentimes hard to translate things into words. And I, I feel fairly reserved, uh, but here I am talking to you. Um, and I think it's good to, to push ourselves to have these conversations, you know, the art will speak for itself in some ways, but yeah, having face-to-face conversations is really important. Um, I, I feel more connected. Um, yeah, it is hard to put things into words. Um, yeah, I, it's hard because I, I've been shy my whole life. So to be in the spotlight as an artist I'm really surprised I've made it this far and that I'm making a living and supporting my daughter doing this, which is great, but it is a challenge, you know? I mean, it's, it's pretty intimate, the stories, when you're putting these really personal stories out there. Um, but I have to put my ego or my self-doubt aside and just do it and trust in the process. So far, I'm amazed at where it's, taken me so i can't regret it even though i've stumbled a bit on the way was your childhood like? I mean, what was um, sort of a, a typical kind of day or typical kind of week for you as a, as a kid? Um, a lot of roller skating, um, climbing trees, walking through creeks and catching frogs. <laughs> I was brought up with a very strong connection to my culture, which I'm very lucky. Um, you know, we traveled to go to as many powwows as we could. Um, yeah, just lots of music. My dad was a drummer and an old hippie. My mom's native, of course. And um, so, yeah, lots of loud music and family over, lots of dinners. Yeah, very lively place. And as I got older, like our house was where everybody wanted to hang out, which was great. So, yeah, it was very uh, open and fun space to grow up and just make noise and be messy. Do you remember when you first thought to yourself, 
art in all its forms, this is something that I am going to do? Um, I never questioned it, honestly. My whole life I've devoted to some sort of creative practice. I started off in the scene shop, so I thought that I might do work in theater, um, but I ended up in art school and a lot of people would discourage you from trying to make a living as an artist. They even told us when I was there, like only 10% of you will ever make a living as artists, but I know I have the drive and I've had to work some terrible jobs along the way to get to where I am now, but it was worth it. I was exhausted for a long time, but now I can really choose the projects I want to do. You know, it's 20 years later, <laughs> but it was worth it. And I feel like I've only just begun. And I think it's really great for my daughter to witness this, that I, even if I had to clean windows or be a delivery driver, like I, I never stopped doing my work. If I had to stay up all night to get a show done for months on end, I did it. Um, and I think that that has helped empower her and her own creative work. She's a musician and an illustrator and a writer. And I'm like, if this is what you're into, if that's your path and your gift, like with the hard work, you can make it happen. This may seem like a crass transition. What is the business side of the work you're doing? Yeah, that is tricky. Um, we have to market ourselves, of course. And I, need to provide for my family. So um, I, I try not to ever compromise my vision or the work itself just to make money. I'm really careful about what I say yes to. Yeah, as far as COVID, I'm very thankful that I'm able to do prints because I can't do shows. Um, I can't perform really. We're, I mean, we're finding other ways to connect with the community in that way, but as far as like the day-to-day -day paying the bills, of course, selling prints, you have to hustle as an artist. Um, so yeah, I do, you know, I'll do commissions for people. Um, I love doing custom work for people's homes. It's always a huge honor. So doing projects like that, uh, that's kind of the bread and butter, of course, and it's a necessary component to making a living as an artist. And it takes a lot of self-motivation and, yeah, doing the work, even if you don't want to, it's not all fun and play, but yeah, just the day-to-day -day putting the marks down and yeah, try and trying to stay ahead. It's, it's hard, but it's possible. Forming photographs Never want to 
You had this opportunity to be in Vienna. It's one thing juxtaposing, for example, um, a typical mainstream American cultural experience with a Native American cultural heritage. But I'm kind of wondering how that might have shifted your thinking to be in an old European cultural environment. So how did you end up in Vienna? What, and what did you do there? And how, how did it perhaps shape your artistic thinking? Yeah, um, my university was great as far as studying abroad. So I, if, if you kept your GPA up, they would send you anywhere in the world, like anywhere. It was amazing. My initial idea was to go to Japan, um, and I took Japanese for the occasion. And my professors convinced me to go to Vienna instead because it was more of an epicenter of contemporary art at the time. This was almost 20 years ago now, but... Um, but it was great to be able to travel to so many different countries as well, being there. So I'm really glad I, I changed my mind and went to Vienna. And I love opera, so it was beautiful to experience the, the live music and performance there. Uh, it, is, it, it, it makes me a bit sad to be in a country that has their culture so intact when ours is so underrepresented here. Um, America is beautiful in the way that it's so diverse, but it's hard as a native person to find that cultural connection. You really have to seek it out. But it was beautiful to experience so many different cultures and um, people are more educated in general about American history in Europe, as you probably know, um, than, than we are here. And, and again, that's strategic of course that we're not taught the full story here and that that is just a continuation of the genocide against indigenous peoples whether we admit it or not it just keeps us invisible um so the appreciation of europeans in general i it was really beautiful and i felt really welcomed everywhere i went really and was pleasantly surprised at how much I was appreciated as a native person. And I think art, there's a different appreciation for art as well. You know, we have our hubs in the United States, but it's a lot different in the Midwest, you know, unless you're in like Chicago or Denver now. Um, and I hope Omaha gets there. We're getting there. I think there's a greater appreciation of art and more encouragement for artists to stay here and create here. In a way, that freedom is really amazing to be able to build the, this kind of city that we want to live in. And definitely being in Europe inspired me a lot where there is an understanding that, that art is an integral part of the human experience and artists deserve to make a living. And I think that people are starting to understand that here as well. Tell me a little bit about um, Sweatshop Gallery. Oh, that's a gallery I opened with a few of my good friends. That was like eight years ago, which was the beginning of Benson First Friday. That kind of drove that whole force forward. Um, so Sweatshop is now Pet Shop, 
Um, so Pet Shop is two galleries. But that was great, being able to run this experimental DIY space with friends and invite people from around the country. And we had a few international people come through, which is cool. So there was a venue in the back. So we would, we were trying to bridge the art, visual art world with musicians to create this, this fun event for each first Friday. Um, yeah, now, now uh, I'm not a part of of BFF anymore, but they're, it's great. They're a nonprofit now and doing a lot of amazing work throughout the community. So you've mentioned already some historical trauma around, you know, forced assimilation. You've also shared that um, your Native American tribe has only sort of recently been sort of, as it were, reconstituted and recognized in a more formal way. You've also referenced some of the skewed histories that are shared in a kind of mainstream environment, which don't represent a true history of some heritage that you have. So all of these things are sort of bubbling up. Are there other sort of key questions or themes that you're trying to explore and express with your work? Yeah, that's a lot. Um, I know that's a huge amount of work <laughs> right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we have these overarching themes or events that we we should always tie back into, you know, because these are things we're not taught that we should be taught from a young age. But I think even just tapping into our daily experience as human beings and, you know, and I'm half native, my dad is Irish. So I think um, walking that line of two different worlds is really important to address as well. And yeah, I think, Ultimately, we should all be building bridges in whatever work we do. And if we're not, maybe we need to rethink what, our, what we're devoting our daily lives to. Um, so, yeah, I would say just bridge building in general, like building community. And, yeah, trying to respect and honor people from different backgrounds. And, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people would disagree with a lot of the things, the messages in my work. Um, but... I'm grateful that people will still approach me and ask about it. And you can have a, a healthy argument with someone like it's, these aren't easy conversations. So I, I, I try, like I said, try to be an open book and, 
and mend these things, even if we might disagree or come from totally different backgrounds. Is there anything in particular that springs to mind? I mean, I, I really enjoyed you talking about the sacred clown and how you use the, that kind of imagery and mythology. Are there any other sort of motifs that spark some of this tension with the audience that you're describing? Good question. Um, and oftentimes I wouldn't know unless someone approached me. I try not to make anything that's blatantly shocking or, you know, the imagery itself or the, the heaviness of the black or the starkness or these sharp lines might evoke some of those things, but they, they're kind of, they're, the, the meanings are interpretive. So I don't know. I would, I would love for people to approach me and ask those questions or, you know, if, if something is, has stopped them in their tracks or put them off, I, I would love to have a conversation with anyone that has that experience viewing my work. Well, they're so, they're so rich, the pieces that I've seen. I hope they're a little break from the insanity of the world, um, <laughs> you know? And sometimes it is just that, like enjoying the color or seeing the balance in, in a design. There's something settled about it it's it's just a place to rest so uh, where, where do you go for inspiration does this just again come to you through your dreams and lands on you as you as you mentioned or do you as well turn deliberately to other sources of inspiration i try to get outside every day see what animals come out you know like I'll ride my bike along the trail like along the creeks or go for hikes um nature is obviously the most restorative space um so I think having that quietness and the fresh air and the sunshine I mean that's a really simple way to tap in even if I'm just watering the plants in my own little garden you know and seeing what creatures are out there just taking that time to be outside every day is huge. Um, always listening to music, playing music, making time to laugh. I think all of those really simple things we can do in our daily lives keep us open to the muses in whatever, whatever way they speak to us. What have you learned as an artist along the way? And what have you learned that you think is worth sharing with up-and-coming artists, aspiring artists? Well, I would say first and foremost, self-doubt is part of the process. Um, and you just plow through it, you know. It's good to, to question your motives, but don't question yourself so much that you're, you become self-defeated. Every day is a challenge, but if you just work through it, and even if you, if you don't want to do the work, do a little bit, and, and just to keep that forward momentum. And don't be afraid to put yourself out there and be vulnerable. My guest today has been artist Sarah Rowe. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
that's the end of this week's show. You can listen again to this show and others by subscribing to the podcast at livesradioshow.com and find us on social media at Lives Radio Show. The music playing you in and playing you out each week was created specially for the show by Andrew Bailey. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives Radio Show and Podcast. Join me next week for fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, and more.